We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Lindsay Meeks has never met a guy quite like Ben. I'm really going to take a chance now. Lindsay, will you go to opening day with me? <laughs> yes. She knows he's a fan. Where do the socks rank in your life? I say Red Sox and breathing. Can you believe this pinhead? She knows he's devoted. This Red Sox thing, it's an obsession. I know, it's just that I hate when it becomes... Oopsie. But she's about to discover... They're sending me to Paris to close the deal. And I am taking... What? Just how committed he really is. We're two games out of first with three weeks left, you know, but this is when they need me. Fever Pitch. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. A little bit of quick housekeeping. After doing Eastbound and Down Season 1 in December and January, we're back to sports movies. Did Seabiscuit last week with guest Dan Stupp. We have plenty of great ones coming down the road. And every episode of this podcast is evergreen. If you're new here, go back, see if we've covered one of your favorites, one of your least favorites. 100 plus episodes deep, so there's, there's really something for everyone. Uh, episodes of this podcast drop every Monday. You can follow on Twitter or join the Big Screen Sports Facebook group for scheduling updates. Also, a reminder for any baseball fans, my podcast interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America drops every other Tuesday. New episode tomorrow featuring former big leaguer and current KBO right-hander Dan Straley. Now that we're done with housekeeping, it is time to talk about a movie that I'm not ashamed to admit is one of my favorite sports movie rom-coms, and joining me to do that, she is the founder of Girl at the Game, host of the Locked on Red Sox podcast, Gabrielle Starr. Gabrielle, thanks so much for joining Big Screen Sports. It is my pleasure, and Fever Pitch is one of my favorite movies as well, so I was super excited to do this with you when you reached out. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's one that's on all the time. It, it just it it makes you feel good. Before we get into it, tell the folks where they can find you in all the pods and all the jobs you're doing. Okay, well, that would be like a whole podcast episode. So I'll just go quick. I'm the founder of Girl at the Game, which is a sports multimedia company by women for everyone. We have a website with articles, we have merchandise, and we have the Girl at the Game podcast, which I host with my amazing co-host and friend Al Francisco, who is a writer for the New England Sports Network here in Boston. 
Then I also host Locked On Red Sox for the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am their Major League Baseball social media manager, so I cover social for all 33 amazing MLB pods that we have on our section of the the Locked On Podcast Network. I also do social for advocates for minor leaguers, and they're doing amazing work trying to make sure that minor leaguers in baseball are given fair wages, compensation, and just like basic, you know, human decency treatment. Um, So I'm really proud of that. I'm also doing like all kinds of consulting work and advising on social media for other companies. And I host for fun the Nickelodeon rewatch podcast with my friend Jeremy Taché, who is on Fox Sports in Florida covering the Miami Marlins, Miami Heat. And we just rewatch old Nickelodeon shows from the 90s and early 2000s and talk about them and bring you that nostalgia, you know, some escapism for this crazy time. <laughs> I think I got everything. <laughs> that is uh, that if if you don't have something for someone on this podcast, I'd be surprised you're doing you're wearing a lot of hats. Also, I did not realize you were working with the advocates for minor leaguers had uh, Ty Kelly on my from Phenom the Farm podcast recently. Ty is one of my old friends. We are very close. We actually used to be neighbors in Los Angeles, and I used to make him go to yoga classes with me almost every morning to help him get a little bit more flexible before spring training. So I am a huge fan of Ty. He's one of my very dear friends, and he's actually the reason that I'm working with Advocates for Minor Leaguers. He is a fantastic dude, made for a fantastic pod about his career. But uh, what you, what you said, especially about uh, you know your stuff for Locked On Red Sox, is why you are a perfect guest for this movie. We're talking about Fever Pitch, the 2005 baseball rom com. When Ben Reitman, a young teacher, begins dating pretty businesswoman Lindsay Meeks, the two don't seem to have a lot of the same interests, but they fall in love regardless. Their romance goes well until baseball season begins, and Lindsay soon realizes that Ben is completely obsessed with the Boston Red Sox. Star (laughs) Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon, it was directed by the Fairley Brothers, strangely, arguably, probably the best movie they put out in the last 20 years, which is kind of weird. It's based on the novel Fever Pitch, A Fan's Life by Nick Hornby. It is 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, gross $50.5 million. And I think the most notable thing about this movie is that this movie essentially won the World Series for the 04 Red Sox. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure you know this from prepping for this episode, but they actually had a different ending. I don't know if I'm skipping ahead in our conversation, but... Nope, you're, or, you're following my lead. By all means, go ahead. <laughs> Originally, the movie was supposed to end somewhat predictably by saying, um, you know, he realizes that there's more to life than baseball and he, his team doesn't win the po- in the postseason, but he gets the girl because he realizes that, um, you know, it's the, the, the classic fever pitch quote, you love the Red Sox, but have the Red Sox ever loved you back? And he realizes, you know, I love this woman. She loves me back. And no matter what happens in this game, Uh, you know, I need to have this woman in my life. But then the craziest part, and I literally could cry thinking about this, is the Red Sox started winning and they went to the postseason and the film producers realized, holy crap, like we might need to change our ending. And um, I'm actually really fortunate to know two people who are in this movie. Um, One is the little boy who sings the anthem on opening day, Jordan Leandri. He's a friend of mine. He is a Jimmy Fun kid. He was in the movie. Um, We are friends. He's a wonderful young man now. He's like in college. And also the guy who 
hands Lindsay, aka Drew Barrymore, the glass of champagne and tells her to make a speech when she finally gets that big promotion while they're broken up, right before she finds out Ben is selling his Red Sox tickets to be with her. The man who hands her that champagne and asks her to give a speech is my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Charles Steinberg, who at the time was the executive vice president of the Boston Red Sox and is now the president of the Worcester uh, Woo Sox, the AAA team for the Boston Red Sox. Um, and so he's got that cameo in the movie. And he is one of my oldest friends. And he is one of the reasons that I am a sports writer and started Girl at the Game. So this movie on a lot of levels is just a huge part of my life. And I love it so much. <laughs> so that means he's the guy who plays Mr. Meyerson, who I have I have something down the road. I have a couple questions about how, how he goes about announcing promotions. Um, yeah, it's but, very interesting. They're like a fancy uh, <laughs> pouring champagne in the office and she's just like out to dinner with her friends. <laughs> exactly. The, uh, but yeah, it, it turns out it, it's the perfect, I mean, the, that's the biggest part of trivia of this movie is that it, it was not going to end this way, but they picked the one in a million Boston Red Sox season, not just a World Series winning season, but a, a break the quote unquote curse of the Bambino season, a greatest postseason series in history season. It's just incredible. There's a, there's a couple other bits of IMDb. Uh, the opening day sequence, the one that you just mentioned, where your friend is the little boy who sings the national anthem, uh, was filmed on the September 4th, 2004, with Stephen King actually throwing out the first pitch. The Red Sox lost that game, ending a 10-game winning streak, and King was blamed for it in the Boston Globe. <laughs> oh, no. Gotta uh, be careful blaming Stephen King for things because he will have clowns murder you in his next book if you're not nice will, to him. He will write some terrifying shit about you. Yeah, um, exactly. All the events in the film, except the Red Sox eight to seven victory over the Yankees, are real. That eight to seven victory, the one that eventually that splits Ben and Lindsay up. Uh, yes. Drew Barrymore, Jimmy Fallon, and Andrew Wilson. Andrew Wilson is the guy who plays the the handsome man in Lindsay's apartment towards the end of the movie. All appeared together in Whip It. I included that bit of trivia just to remind people, go watch Whip It. It's very good. It's a very good sports movie. Uh, September 16th, 2004, a game against the Tampa Tampa Bay Devil Rays, which Boston won 11-4, was used in the film. The shooting consisted of Drew Barrymore running across the field to where Jimmy Fallon was sitting near the Red Sox dugout. This was filmed after the game with about half the crowd staying after to be extras, a.k.a. the the grass. You got to tell me, was it spongy? <laughs> I All-time great scene. Oh, my God. I mean, as someone who has stood on the field at Fenway Park, that scene and that line echo in my head. Also, like, Drew Barrymore, Lindsay Meeks, you're not taking off your heels before you throw yourself into center field over the overhang? Like, Really? Why I'm are not you convinced still she on? wasn't injured. I I genuinely like that's the moment where you're like, how is your coccyx intact? Like your <laughs> butt bone? How is your tailbone not broken and floating around in your body? It's it's so painful just to watch. Like having stood out there and and seen how high that wall is, it's higher than it even looks in the movie. It's it's terrifying. Also, I'm scared of heights, so maybe it's partly partly that. Oh, yeah, you couldn't catch me jumping from that wall. Uh, Gabrielle, I don't think I need to ask, is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter bench warmer sports movie for you? Oh, man, okay. So, you know, it's funny because a lot of people don't actually like this movie. They think it's cheesy or ridiculous or they're just a Yankees fan, which, okay, don't watch it. Sucks to suck. Um, it does get a lot of kind of undue hate. Yeah, I think it does. Honestly, 
I would say this movie is between an all-star movie and a Hall of Fame movie, depending on your qualifications for those uh, ratings. I personally consider it a Hall of Fame movie. I can quote half this movie. Like Ben Reitman, I also own Yankee Toilet Paper. It was a gag gift from my sister for Hanukkah a couple years ago. I don't use it, but I think it's just an epically creative gift on her part. I think, you know, it's in certain ways it doesn't age well. Like you're an overgrown man boy who has never had a serious girlfriend because of your obsession with a sports team. Um, But then again, as someone who works in sports and is dating somebody who works in sports, we also both have discussed the fact that it's really hard to date people out of our industry because to a certain level, they don't understand, uh, you know, the crazy hours, the obsession, the undying devotion to something that like, as they say in the movie, pretty much doesn't love you back. And, um, you know, for that reason, I would say it, it's actually a pretty accurate, you know, his his struggles with trying to, you know, be off-season Ben and regular season Ben and her trying to get into a new sport completely, like her trying to pr- pronounce Carl Yastrzemski's name is just an absolutely hilarious moment where all the guys in their section just want to kill her because she's just like, how do you live in Boston and not know Yastrzemski? For me, it's a Hall of Fame movie. I know that was a ramble. But I think for me personally, I saw this movie in theaters. Like my whole family went to go see this movie in theaters. And I think that if you are a Bostonian who grew up watching the curse get reversed, like you have to love this movie. Even if it's cheesy as all hell, which partly it is. I mean, it's a rom-com, but... As a Boston Red Sox fan, I don't know any Boston Red Sox fan who can like genuinely say that they won't watch this movie if they're flipping channels and it comes on. This one's an all-star for me. It's a strong all-star. It is it's like a high floor, low ceiling movie. It is not it's not a legendary rom-com like when Harry met Sally. It's not a legendary sports movie like Bull Durham, but it is a nice mix. It's just incredibly pleasant. If this movie came out on Netflix in 2021, everyone would watch it and have pretty decent things to say. Um, You know, as a legitimate sports movie rom-com, it's actually up there as one of the best. A lot of sports movie rom-coms either get the sports really wrong or the romance. This one has the backing of the perfect fanhood to with a lot of lore to kind of do this this crazy obsessed fan uh relationship with and, and it also combines the greatest postseason run in history. It's it's a really it's a really good mix. Um it's also Drew Barrymore does back to back rom coms, both of which are on TV all the time. She does this and the year before she did fifty first dates. I, I would assume that you are more of a fan of this one than Fifty First Dates. I, have you seen Fifty First Dates? That's yeah, more like, do you course. own a, do you have cable <laughs> at any point in the last fifteen years? Because it's right. Always like, on. was I a child of the you know mid nineties to early two thousands? And I was. Um, I think Fifty First Dates is a really cute movie. I've seen it maybe three times in my life. I'm picking this movie over it any day. I think partially that's like my Red Sox bias. I have sat, um, like I mentioned, Dr. Charles Steinberg, who has a cameo in this movie, his seats are actually pretty much exactly in the same spot where 
Ben Reitman's two seats are. Uh, Charles has four seats a few rows back. Like they're in like the third row from the dugout and his are like the eighth row from the dugout. Same section. And I've sat right there and you literally feel like you are in a real life fever pitch. And um, it's just for me, like I love this movie so much. My sister loves this movie. I own this movie on Amazon iTunes. We had it on DVD when people still had DVDs for like that five-year span when that was like the weird bridge between VHS and digital. Like my family loves this movie. I really like 50 First Dates. I actually, I weirdly, I watched it a couple days before I, I rewatched this just because it was on TV as it as it often is. Adam Sandler's very important. I love Adam Sandler dearly. It's still- I love makes, Adam Sandler. It makes me sad every day that he didn't get an Oscar nom for Uncut Gems. He was incredible. But this movie is better than 50 First Dates. The Fallon Barrymore chemistry is better. She also doesn't have to dress herself down like she does for Adam Sandler. Like Drew Barrymore gets to- gets to have a little more like appeal and a little more flirtation because she's not like dating a, a schlub in massive cargo shorts. Yeah, I I think it's very funny you bring up Uncut Gems because I went to go see Uncut Gems with my boyfriend and it's like a long movie. It's like, what, three hours almost? And we left the movie theater and we kind of saw it late. Like I think it was already out for two weeks or something. And we left the movie theater. I think it was the last movie we saw before COVID. And neither of us really knew what to say to each other because we knew that this movie had been super hyped up. And neither of us, like, we acknowledged that it was, like, a very good movie. It's not an enjoyable movie to watch. Like, it's very stressful. (laughs) And we got in the car and I was kind of like, did you like that movie? And he's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm really exhausted. Like, it's kind of an exhausting cinematic experience. And I looked at my Apple Watch And my heart rate during the movie was like so much higher than it normally is. Like I was stressed out. My heart was beating faster, like with anxiety, watching Adam Sandler try to like, you know, not get murdered. And I realized, though, that he kind of plays a similar character in a lot of his movies, not all of his movies, but in a lot of his movies, especially in the last decade, he's some form of a wealthy guy with a wife or girlfriend who's way out of his league in real life, except for the fact that he has money. And he's kind of bombastic and loud and kind of a bit of a dick. Um, And then whatever the actual plot of the movie is. And if you think about like, just go with it or this uh, uncut gems, um, the one that he's in with all of his friends, grownups, I think. Yeah, he's yeah. basically turned his career into just a living vacation with all of his right. buddies. Yeah, um, which, I mean, I love that he hires all his friends for all his movies. I think it's actually really fun. I'm actually a really huge, even his bad movies, I kind of just love all of them. But it's just, it was funny to me to realize, like, he's kind of just like a rich douche in a lot of his movies. And then he casts like a super hot romantic interest for himself. But Drew Barrymore's, business partner is actually Jimmy Fallon's wife. So she spent like that whole movie. He was falling in love with her business partner in real life while filming a movie where he had to make out with Drew Barrymore all the time. And that's his wife now. And they're married and they have two kids. 
which is great. It's it's yeah, a, it's, it's awesome. Great, it's just kind of funny. Like they fell in love in Boston while he was supposed to be playing like the guy in love with like her production partner. <laughs> It's funny, though, you mentioned the career of Adam Sandler and kind of what he's done. He has, like, the Happy Madison stuff in the 90s, and then he gets into kind of his... There's 50 First Dates, and then he gets into, like, all, you know, kind of the the more worse, his worst rom-coms. Jimmy Fallon, you could kind of see the wheels turning in this movie, and that, like, he kind of had a niche that he could have... You could have seen some more Jimmy Fallon rom-coms like this, where he, he could have really worked. He had some stuff going in this movie, but then he gets The Tonight Show, and, like, you know... That it's game over. Jimmy Fallon's not going to mess around trying to get a movie to succeed on opening weekend when he's got the the Tonight Show bread. I was kind of bummed, actually. I totally agree. You know, I loved him on SNL. He's probably one of my top ten SNL actors of all time. Number one being Dana Carvey. And I mean, Jimmy Fallon's great on SNL because he always breaks. He, he, oh my he god! I love watching face. him and Horatio Sands just like when they're doing that stoner college thing, and and uh, Horatio Sands is playing Gobi, and he and he's they're so funny. But yeah, I thought Jimmy Fallon was great in this movie. You know, it's a perfect role for him, and he actually has a really funny story from, I think it was either Jeter or A Rod was his guest on Tonight Show or uh, Late Night, whichever one it was, um, and. <laughs> yeah, I think it was A-Rod. He said, you know, I thought that you hated me because I was in fever pitch. And he's like, no, I didn't hate you because of that. I hated you because I thought you were a Red Sox fan. He's like, no, I'm from <laughs> Rochester, New York. I'm a Yankees fan. I had to play a Red Sox fan in this movie. And that really bummed me out because as a kid, I kind of was like, my favorite SNL guys are Red Sox fan. Like, because you're a kid, like, you don't realize that, like, this isn't their real life he's like playing a role in a movie but yeah uh i i thought jimmy fallon was a great romantic lead you know he's got range and uh he's he was adorable as all hell being this kind of like overgrown child who's obsessed with the red Sox. um i thought it was great and i also have to say i love that drew barrymore's character was not apologetic about you know being a career-driven woman you know, and not wanting to settle for guys that she didn't like and having standards and calling Ben out on his BS. And, you know, I I really admire that because I've gone out with guys in the past where they're like, you know, I really admire that you started your own company. But at the end of the day, like, I really want like my wife to be waiting for me at home with a home cooked meal. I'm like, so you're a feminist until you have to make your own dinner. And I like that she says to him, like, dude, it's a baseball team. Grow up. Because I have to say, like, that distinction is important. And I kind of lost that for a little bit about a year ago where I just was, like, so deep in my work that I had no other life. And I was like, you know what? This is not healthy. Like, you you do need to have other interests and other things. And you can't just work all the time. And you can't just be obsessed with one thing all the time because you're missing out on so much more of life. And I think that this movie, you know, really brings that home, too. Yeah, even by the end of it, you don't think it's it's not suggested that like she's going to settle and deal with this. She is going to compromise and make some concessions into what this fanhood means for this guy. But she's certainly not going to put up with the shit that she had to put up with in the in the uh, in the 2004 season. But let's get into to the best scene. Um, I'm going to kind of run through these nominees. There's actually a lot there. I, I usually try, I try to be kind of selective, but there there's so many like 
you know, cute, quick moments in this one that are really enjoyable. Like uh, the first date is. So I actually I want your opinion as a woman. If you know Ben and Lindsay's first date, Lindsay has food poisoning, the puke cleanup scene. Uh, if if that happens to you, you wake up the next morning, you see said dude on the couch. What is your reaction? So I think. You know, I think it's a very sweet scene. I love that he's brushing the dog's teeth and cleaning everything up. It's very, very sweet. I think that her skepticism is warranted because she doesn't really know this guy. And he's, like, asleep on her couch. And she probably, like, having, like most people, had food poisoning in my life. Like, it is just one hellish blur of a nightmare. Um, you know, and so her confusion's a little bit like, what the hell are you still doing here? But it's adorable. It's so sweet and thoughtful. I mean, like the worst thing is, is being an adult and like being sick by yourself. And when I lived in LA and my parents lived in Boston and I was like sick as an adult, all I wanted was my mom. And you're just like sick alone and it sucks. And even though she's like this big, strong career woman, I mean, look at her, she gets sick and all of a sudden she like, like every human person crumbles and he takes care of her when he has no reason to. I mean, aside you're from what he on likes ben her. for the rest of the movie. Like you're like, okay. Cause you know, legi- he's a good guy. Good, yeah. Legitimate good dude. Um, it, it's good that I think it, it is good. And I, I asked my wife this too. And she said that the fact that they had met each other beforehand, that it was not like a Tinder date and he had just shown up and they were meeting for the first time. The fact that they had that rapport and had met before makes it like, less weird that he would have stayed over and more like genuine and cute. I also, the, the line, are you faking it? Cause we don't really have to do this is, is iconic and In- incredible, uh, self-deprecating line by, by Fallon at that point. Uh, the next scene I have is, is Ben having to explain to Lindsay about going down to spring training because each of her <laughs> comments is just one barb after the other, like the ridiculousness of fanhood. It is, it is fantastic. It is so cute, but I also will say, for starters, I mean, look, it's clear from the beginning of the movie, like, she doesn't care about baseball at all, but my one issue with the movie as a woman who has been a sports fan my entire life and who grew up walking distance from Fenway Park is, I know she's from Maryland, but Maryland has baseball too. You got the Orioles. How... Do you not know even the most basic information about baseball? Like kids play baseball in school for gym class growing up. You've got little league, you've got college ball. Like she acts like she was in a time capsule from before Abner Doubleday invented baseball over a hundred years before this movie is made. And like, to me, that's a little bit annoying just because there are so many women like me who have been baseball fans since birth. And that's the one thing that bothers me is just the fact that she basically doesn't like, she's never heard of Babe Ruth. Really? She's the least baseball literate person in the United States of America. Legit. Like it, it just goes a little bit too far of showing that shit. Like she could just be like, Oh, I'm not a baseball fan. I don't like baseball. But instead they kind of make it like, she literally doesn't know that the sport exists. And to me, that's where you're kind of pushing it 
to a point where you're doing a disservice to the women who love baseball because there are so many of us. But I will say when when Fallon says that, like, you know, we go down there and scout the players, which one they should keep. And she so earnestly, she earnestly asks, like, the Red Sox ask for your opinion. It's like And he gets to uh, when he says, like, you know, we go training. She's like, oh, you train with the players. And he's like, no, we watch them. And she's basically it's it's true, though, because it's 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 so ridiculous. Like as someone who goes to spring training, um, you know, it's very funny. It's just funny because it's true. Like you're just basically paying to watch dudes work out. He also does the, the fake proposal, AKA going to opening day. And then he hits us with his Jimmy Stewart impression. My favorite thing about Jimmy Fallon's impressions is that every one of his impressions sounds like that celebrity doing a bad Jimmy Fallon impression. Yes. (laughs) You're a romantic. Hmm? You have a lyrical soul. You can love under the best and worst conditions. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, I guess so. Hey, <laughs> uh... You took a really big chance inviting me to meet your family. Now I'm gonna take a chance. A big one. Lindsay, will you go to opening day with me? The next scene (laughs) I've got is the season ticket draft, which seems like the most goddamn fun I've never had in my life. I need a friend with like, I, I need that whole environment. Like sports fans love drafts. They love the amateur drafts. They love fantasy drafts. I wish I had a Ben in my life with season tickets or like I live near a, a, minor league baseball team. I wish I had a friend who would get UPS tickets every year and I could like go like, Oh, I can't wait. Let me, let's go. I want to be at the Tulsa drillers game on a fucking Sunday. Like, let's do it. It's as somebody who has access to tickets, I will say though, it gets kind of annoying when random people out of the blue will be like, Hey, do you have any idea how I can get Fenway tickets? And I'm like, we literally never talk ever like total people I haven't talked to since high school and I'm coming up on my 10 year high school reunion this year. Um, or, you know, like guys I've gone on a date with and they'll ask me if I can get them tickets to go out with somebody else. And I'm like, no, I did not like you. (laughs) Um, pay for your tickets like anybody else. Yeah. It's, I think that the opening day scene is adorable, and I think that the draft looks so awesome, especially when he's like, that's not Yankee dancing, that's Devil Ray dancing. You know, I want to see some Yankee dancing, and, like, uh, the doc, the anesthesiologist guy who is Stanford from Sex and the City starts tapping his toe, and he's like, the doctor's giving me something, the doctor's giving me something, with, like, a and little bit a of, like, a Jewish Sox, New York accent. He's in a full Red Sox uniform, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the baseball bat and everything, leaning on it like Babe Ruth. I, I love that scene. It looks like so much fun. Yeah, and I like that it's his boys, too, because like you said, it's not all these randos asking him for tickets. Like, it's him and his boys. This is clear. They've clearly done this a million times. I... I I'd need a, a ticket, like a season ticket draft so badly in my life. Uh, the next scene I've got is is opening day. And it's more just because like 
Ben's Red Sox family, that intro baseball. It's just, it's just wonderful. It's, it's good seeing baseball and it, and especially now, especially upon rewatch, like it's great seeing baseball with this big, vibrant and happy crowd. Like I, I love it. I don't know. I don't think it's one of the, like the best scenes in the film. It doesn't progress the film a ton, but it's just really enjoyable to watch. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's a ton of cute things in this movie that are like that, you know, where it's not, it's just like a nice little, you know, cherry on top of the Red Sox Sunday that is this movie. It's just like those tiny little things, tiny little things. I love it. Yeah, and the next one I have that is is kind of the opposite of that is um, Lindsay and Ben's breakup because it is a for a movie that's a lighthearted rom com, it is a hard, hard breakup scene. Like they go from the highest of the highs, lowest of the lows. Like it is a it is a brutal. You believe very hard in that breakup when she says that that he broke her heart like you're like oh he really fucked this up absolutely it's i mean you like your heart hurts for both of them but also you're kind of like ben how could you do that like it's like everything he says it just gets progressively worse and you see he's in this fit of emotion he's struggling to he he's struggling to deal with the thing he just missed out on, but it is, I mean, he just keeps stepping on rakes and saying the worst possible things. And it is like watching a train wreck. The, this movie was FOMO before FOMO existed. Like him going out with her instead of going to the game is literally like you're seeing FOMO before that phrase was coined. Because he's literally just like, I can't believe I missed the greatest game. I missed the greatest game. And it's like, you know what, though? I've been to so many games that were like coined like the greatest game. I was at the 18 inning World Series game in 2018 at Dodger Stadium for seven and a half hours. And like, you know what? There will be other games. But like, if this is the if this is the love of your life, like, dude, shut up. It's a baseball game. And I say this as somebody who has bawled their eyes out in the pouring rain at Fenway Park. <laughs> what doesn't help that either is his buddy Troy calling him and possibly one of the worst friends on the planet for this. And yeah, being like dude, really? rubbing in Just- because there was absolutely a conversation between them where he's like, Troy, I'm giving you my Yankees tickets for tonight. And he's like, man, I can't believe you're missing a Yankees game. And it's this whole big thing of this is a big thing for me to miss this Yankees game. This is a big step in my personal development, but I'm putting my relationship first. My relationship is important. And then Troy goes and sees this fantastic game. And his first thought, as soon as he gets out of the stands is to call his buddy and be like, Hey man, guess what you missed? It is a horrible friend move. Not only that, But Troy, who is a drugstore generic version of Justin Timberlake, is like he is sitting there in Ben's seats. So his best friend gives him his seats to a Red Sox Yankees game, which is like the most ridiculous. I mean, not right now because the rivalry is kind of like eh, because the Red Sox aren't good. But 2004 Red Sox Yankees is the hottest ticket on the planet, your best friend gives you his season tickets in the most clutch area of the ballpark because you know that he's trying to detox himself so he can be a good boyfriend. And you call him and you tell him that he missed the greatest game ever. And the thing is, like, there's no Twitter in 2004. There's no, like, people are barely even texting in 2004, not the way that we are now. There's no smartphones. 
if this had just died down the next morning and Ben had just, like, read about it in the newspaper like people used to, this fight doesn't even happen. But, of course, the fight is important for it to happen so that we can get to the, you know, climax of the movie and the character development that's necessary for Ben to end up with Lindsay and Lindsay to, you know, like, both of them to make sacrifice for each other. But, oh, my God, it's one of those things watching it now, looking back on how much technology has evolved that you're just kind of like, why, like, why did this moron call this guy at like one in the morning? Oh God. And also he like grabs a random woman in the street. Just, just saying again, like a little bit weird, you know, he's just making out with a total stranger in the street. Hopefully it's consensual, but uh, it's just not great. Yeah. Troy (laughs) is, he's low key, a huge asshole. Uh, my final scene is is game four of the 2004 ALC at one of the best postseason games of all time. Uh, Chris, Robin's husband, incredible dick. Uh, but you get mm, Lindsay's mad <laughs> Lindsay's mad dash being narrated by Tim McCarver, Harold Reynolds. Uh, you know, we have the the great reunion, uh, Lindsay on the grass. Al Waterman making out with that guy's ex-wife, which I feel like it doesn't matter if they've just witnessed like true love happen and it's a playoff game. I feel like that still <laughs> starts a fight. Uh, it, it's just, it's a really good, it's a really good rom-com. It is shades of when Harry met Sally, Harry showing up at New Year's Eve. Yes. Per- such a good, such a good comparison of like, you know, when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start right now. I The best line. I dropped that in my wedding vows two weeks ago, by the way. Well, congratulations. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. My first <laughs> podcast is a married man. I'm, I'm just now realizing. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, my parents um, are big Harry Met Sally fans because they they love the part at the end when they're the ones being interviewed. Like, they're the final couple in the movie being interviewed. And they say... Yeah, the coconut um, cake. Right. When she says, like, you know, when we first met, we hated each other. Uh, then we were friends. Then we weren't. And then we fell in love because my parents also, when they first met, my dad was super interested in my mom. She was wanted nothing to do with him. She told her roommate, who was her best friend, who knew my dad, if you introduce me to this guy, I will never speak to you again. And to her credit, the roommate did not introduce my parents. And my mom literally for like a year wanted nothing to do with my dad. Then they became friends. Then they fell in love. Um so they love Harry Met Sally and they like, really like Fever Pitch. And I think that one of the things that is great about Fever Pitch is that the compromise that leads to them falling in love is two sided. You know, he's willing to give up his season tickets for her. And she leaves the promotion celebration that she has been working for this entire movie pretty much to be with him and to stop him from selling the tickets. She says, I, she says, you love me enough to sell your tickets. I love you enough not to let you. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly the quote almost to to the word. And you, you realize like, honestly, even though on paper, these two people had nothing in common, you know, she's a hardworking, crazy, rich career woman. And he's a guy who probably became a teacher because it's the easiest way to have a job where you can still basically spend the entire baseball season at the ballpark. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean it's it's a perfect it's a perfect ending to because it is because they don't get a lot of it, it's not like a long monologue thing. Neither of them gets to go on a monologue kind of like Harry does in the end of When Harry Met Sally. But that that line that she spits I out. I love about, when you get cold when it's seventy five degrees out. <laughs> exactly, and I and I'm not sure I'm not sure Fallon or Barrymore could could have pulled that off like like uh, like Billy Crystal could. But that line that you said about her, you know, I love you enough. To, uh, I love you enough to to not let you sell them or whatever. Like it, it's perfect. It's a perfect construct. The only downside to that scene is when she says let's try to jerk one out of the park who okayed that line that is oh my god it's so cheesy i cringe every time it is not not good at all but gabrielle what is for you what is the best scene in this movie oh my god um it's hard it's hard to choose i i like when she starts getting into baseball you know, because it reminds me of like when the Red Sox in 04 started heating up, you know, and you get to see all the scenes of them going to the games, which like they actually did. They were at a bunch of games and you get to see all the guys that are now retired. I mean, that entire team is retired now. You see like young David Ortiz just being David Ortiz. He's my favorite of all time. I think... As dumb as it is, I really think the ending to me is kind of perfect, especially because they changed it for the real life Boston Red Sox. It makes it really special because they could have just set this movie like not in any specific year and had it been like, you know, his team loses, but he wins because he's in love, you know, kind of like in Major League how... It's super annoying that at the end of Major League, they all lift Renee Russo into the air, even though none of them know her, basically. And, like, suddenly the the movie's about that instead of about them winning against the odds. I love, I just, as a kid who always wanted to run on the field at Fenway Park, and as somebody who, like, grew up at Fenway Park and just someone who cherishes the Red Sox so much... Her running on the field to stop him, it's just like such an epic display from someone who didn't even know how to pronounce Yastrzemski like 35, 45 minutes before in the same movie. And I just, I love how they meet each other in the middle because that's what life's about. And I'll be honest and say, my boyfriend and I have been together for a year and a half now. We were friends for over a year first and we had our first kiss at Fenway Park. You're just a, a real life after ben a Sox Yankees game, by the way. <laughs> You're a real life Ben and Lindsay. I I would say that the the last game, they're them reuniting at Game Four and then kind of going into the montage of what happens in the yeah. rest of the playoffs is is probably the best scene. I I just I have a lot of fondness for the season ticket draft as well. I'm a huge fan. Oh yeah, uh, no, it's so fun the whole thing, and also when he pulls out the jacket that he bought her, and he's like, "It's, it's for when we go to games together." It's, it's authentic, wear. yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to be honest, this is getting me hot. I have a very similar jacket that I got because of that scene. It was it it was part of the trivia that it was a uh, it was a hot seller in Boston after after this movie. You cannot find that jacket anymore. It's not even on eBay. They should call it the Barrymore. Gabrielle, let's take a quick ad break and then get back with the best quote. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. So with with best quote in this one, uh, I think you kind of said it earlier. I think the the classic quote from this movie, the the most like prevalent one, is "You love the socks, but have they ever loved you back?" Is there a better quote in this movie than that one? Um, I mean, that to me is a quote that like is always in my heart. But I will say this movie is full of great great quotes. I, first of all. I love like the in the breakup scene. We didn't even talk about this when he's like, lose, you know, going total spiral because of their breakup um, and his friends come over and <laughs> they make him get in the shower. And he's like, what are you doing? And uh, the, the anesthesiologist is like, relax, I'm a doctor. And he's like, well, not to pry, but like, why are you shaving my balls? <laughs> They definitely, they definitely throw some hints about the anesthesiologist between that and the, the yeah. grabbing Johnny Damon's butt. Yeah. Um, and then, but like, you know, there are just so many quotes in this movie that like speak to baseball fans. Like, you know, when he's talking to her about why he loves baseball and he says, I like being part of something that's bigger than me. Um, it's good for your soul to invest in something you can't control. And like, that's that's exactly what it is like when you're part of Red Sox Nation like you're part of something bigger than yourself you you go through the highest of highs the lowest of lows like we went from winning the World Series in 2018 to losing Mookie Betts and having Alex Cora be embroiled in a cheating scandal like 11 months later 12 months later and you know for all of the times when it's incredibly hard I think back to all of the amazing moments that baseball has brought me and specifically the Red Sox and base and Fenway Park and like, no, I I wouldn't I I wouldn't trade, you know, those bad moments for sanity when the good moments are so like not to get all sweet Caroline on you but so good so good so good you know like that's that's what it's about I mean it's not not about winning all the time it's about being part of something bigger than yourself. There's two funny quips that I want to mention in best quote, uh, just because they always make me laugh. One is in the draft scene and it's from uh, the anesthesiologist, Kevin. Uh, You went to six Yankees games last year, you selfish pig bastard, which is something (laughs) I will will often call friends selfish pig bastard. And then I love uh, that. He's like so (laughs) impassioned about it. He's like, you selfish pig bastard. It's like, all right, calm down, calm down. I also honorable mention, I think it's the first game that he takes her to an opening day when uh, he's talking about how you can't fake it, baseball. He's like, you can fake a lot of things in life that like you don't have to be great at. But he says, you can either hit a curveball or you can't. And it's so true because the cream rises to the top and like you either can hack it 
in the Boston Red Sox, like, you know, piranha tank, or you can't. And if you can't, the, the media and the Red Sox fans are going to tell you immediately. The last quote I have that is completely opposite from that, and that, like, that quote you just mentioned is, like, steeped in, in reality and this, like, hard truth of baseball. The the last thing I want to mention is uh, post-game three when um, they spot Johnny Damon and, and Trot dining out is Ted Williams would roll over in his freezer if he saw this, which always gets gets a chuckle out of me. Because we were right. That was, like, just very post-Ted Williams has passed away, and there's the whole uh, him being frozen controversy, which was, which was a whole thing. Um, the most and least authentic sports centric parts of the movie, this one, there's not a whole lot of that you can point to sports wise that is inauthentic because it, it just directly parallels real life events. And there's no, there's no real manufactured stuff besides like the Miguel Tejada foul ball that knocks out Drew Barrymore. There's really not a lot of that. Um, I, I did, there are some like, authenticity stuff that isn't directly sports related. Like for me, the most authentic part about this movie was Ben's girlfriend coming to him, sharing this amazing news about Paris and him fucking it up completely in 30 seconds. Like it taking 30 seconds for a guy to fuck up some great news. That was very authentic for me. That felt very real. Like something I could have absolutely done. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a very frustrating part of being with someone who's like different from you um or even just like the the kind of knee-jerk reactions and not just taking a breath to to think before you speak but I hate as a woman I hate I hate that moment because you just want to shake him and be like you're super hot successful rich girlfriend is taking you to Paris for free and all you have to do is call in sick to work and shut the hell up and let her take you to Paris and like not be a total man boy. And he can't even do that. It's like, it, it, it's the kind of moment where you look at men and you're uh, no offense and you're just like, Oh my God, what is like, what is wrong with you? Um, because then of course he tries to walk it back and it's too late and she's hurt. And like, that's kind of, even though they don't break up yet, that's kind of the moment for her where she's like, you don't see us tangled in the sheets with the Eiffel Tower in the back. You see, like, I think it's like the angels are coming to town or the mariners or something. And, like, her Schilling is pitching, like, ugh, by the way. But, you know, and she's right. Like, to a certain point, like, that's when I, I don't remember if it's before she goes to Paris or after she comes back. But she says, you know... I get it, but how far does it go? Like, grandma, don't die because the Yankees are coming to town. Or, you know, don't induce labor because uh, I have to go. To, I'm still at the ball game, and, the you know, the game's next extra innings. And, and that's exactly what it is. It's like, well, if you let this take over your entire life, eventually you're going to have nothing left. Because, again, it comes all comes back to that quote. You love the Red Sox, but have the Red Sox ever loved you back? Are you going to marry the Red Sox? Can the Red Sox birth your children? Are the Red Sox going to hold your hand when you're having a surger, like a surgical procedure? And the answer is no. Yeah, that point is when the cracks in the foundation start happening. Yeah. That, that, that eventually lead, it's it definitely, it's a foreshadowing to the, to the breakup. Did you have anything that stood out for most or least authentic? It's a tough movie to pick any sort of authenticities from in that regard. Honestly, not really. I think I kind of already pointed out my two biggest things. And the first one is, you know, her just having literally zero knowledge of baseball. I'm not even talking about, um, you know, 
the current Red Sox roster during the movie. I'm talking about, like, she didn't know who Babe Ruth was. Every American person in the last 100 plus years knows who Babe Ruth was. I mean, that's, that's not a thing. Um, you know, they make her look extra baseball illiterate to really kind of, it's a movie, obviously, it's dr- dramatized, but like, it's just a little too far for my taste. Like, really? Like, she could just be like, I'm not into baseball. But they have to kind of take it to that extent. And then my other thing, I guess, would be um, just like her jumping down from the from her seat in the bleachers. Because as somebody who my seats growing up were in the gate A section of Fenway. So like you go in and it's actually we were kind of like 30 plus 30 or so rows behind where Jimmy Fallon's seats are in the movie, right underneath like the overhang of the roof. And I know that, yes, you're supposed to go in through a certain gate. But once you're in, she knows where his seats are. She's been going to the games with him for like most of the year at this point. She could just run around the concourse and get to his section. Like, that's faster. Like, why did she go to her seat in the first place? She should have just run right. Once she got, once she went to her gate and got in with her expensive ticket from the scalper, why didn't she just run to his seats? Like, she knows exactly where he is. He's been sitting in the same seat since he was five years old. And and to backtrack for one second, I guess the scalper thing also a little unrealistic. Like, A, I don't know anyone normal who carries $600 in cash in their wallet. B, you ripped up the ticket? Like, (laughs) just as a person who works in sports social, meaning I don't make a ton of money, like, yeah, the guy sucks, but really? Like, you tore up a ticket instead of taking back 50 bucks? Like, she must be really rich. She lives in Back Bay. She has a cushy job. She carries $600 in her wallet. I call bullshit. She just got promoted, too. Yes, she just got promoted. (laughs) Yeah, the thing, if she's willing to run across the field and get arrested, she was willing to run around the concourse and push past a security guard to run Right, like if you're running in heels, wouldn't you rather run around the concrete of the concourse instead of throwing yourself onto the field where you can get arrested? Like, that's just, it's it's great watching it, but if you're asking me unrealistic, 100%, that's the most unrealistic part because, like, yeah, she, I throws mean, herself, you, she throws herself off like a 20-foot, you know, balcony, basically. When you've got the chance to grab Johnny Damon's butt, you got to do it. Uh, <laughs> so as far as what worked in this one, what we, we've talked about a lot of it, but what... The, I think for me, like what makes this one click, like this movie is not successful without it, is, is two real things. It's Fallon and Barrymore having legitimate chemistry, which you can't really have a rom-com without that. If the, if the leads Absolutely. don't click, if the leads don't click, it's just not, you're not going to feel it. And then the, the climax of the movie being inadvertently planned around the greatest playoff series of all time, I think like... You can like we can all say like, oh, we enjoy the movie anyway, but it, it it very much helps that it is tied to a series that anyone of a certain age, Red Sox fan or not, has extremely fond or vivid memories of one of the most memorable playoff series of all time. I think that really helps the movie, especially as it ages. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's really a time capsule of a really special time in Boston sports history, because 
it's not just based off some, like I, I mentioned Major League earlier. Major League is not actually like a realistic movie for a lot of reasons, but you know, it's a it's a great sports movie in a lot of ways, but it's not actually tied to a specific season and real players and real footage of Pedro and Poppy and Johnny Damon, the sweetest ass in the league. Like you I watched this movie and I remember being 12 years old bundling up in the winter to go see this movie with my family. And I, you know, remember my my dad sending me to bed during game four of the World Series because he was nervous, you know, growing up a Red Sox fan. Like, my dad grew up going to baseball games with his dad. And my dad, my grandfather pulled my dad out of school. He let him skip school to go see a World Series game in 1967. It was Carl Yastrzemski's only multi-homer game of his postseason career and my dad and my grandfather were there and then when my dad was 15 his father passed away so my dad was nervous being a kid who grew up during the impossible dream season that if they didn't win I would be like totally heartbroken traumatized for life the way that you know he kind of was when he was a kid being a Red Sox fan and so my dad sent me to bed And the next morning, he woke me up for school holding the Boston Globe that just said in giant letters, yes, with like an exclamation point and the picture of them all on the field. And my mom, who worked downtown, came home from work that day and said, all over Boston, people were just walking around in like a daze. You know, grown men wearing Red Sox t-shirts underneath their work blazers and baseball caps, you know, with full-on suit and tie. And, like, the city was just in, like, a state of euphoria and awe. And when you watch this movie, like, when I watch this movie, all of that comes back to me. I remember feeling the way I did as a third-generation Bostonian. I remember feeling, like, the collective joy of Red Sox fans that this finally happened. And my mom went to opening day 2005 and saw the ring ceremony and she had that like cheap old Motorola flip phone and she took pictures on it and they were like these terrible blurry pictures. But she came home and showed them to us and we we couldn't believe it. You know, seeing that banner and seeing everything that happened and it was so, like that was one of the best memories of my entire childhood was 2004. And when I watched that movie, it all comes right back. And I think that that's what makes this movie so special and realistic because anyone who grew up in Boston, even if you think the movie's cheesy and stupid and you hate love and you hate rom-coms, like, okay, who cares? You're going to watch this movie and you're still going to start thinking about 2004. Yeah, I mean, it's very telling that one of the best parts of the movie is simply a character just recounting what happened in the, the rest of the ALCS and the World Series. It, it's It's very much a movie of a certain time it was very fortunate in picking the best possible year to do this, but it it does, it does make the movie work better. Something else that I think makes the movie work really well is Ben's backstory of why he likes the Red Sox. It's not just like they could have just said, Oh, you know, Ben's a Boston diehard. He grew up in Boston, but like 
the fact that it he it's about bonding with his uncle Carl and he fell in love with the Red Sox because he didn't really have anything going on. He just lost his dad. He didn't knew to the I city love that and stuff. Line. It is it is wonderful. It it's really special because I think a lot of baseball fans, a lot of sports fans, you have something that has brought you to sports before that is not necessarily just, I like sports, this team is close to me. A lot of times it is a specific memory like that. Like my dad grew up the son of Cuban immigrants and the twins best player was Tony Oliva and it was someone that he could gravitate to and root for because he was Cuban. And so, I mean, and you know, 50 years later, his his oldest son is a big Twins fan. Like, it's, it's stuff like that. And I, I like that the movie took the time to do that and explain what Ben's fanhood means to him. And it also is why it is so ingrained in him because of how important, how it is like a, a core of his personality and not just a thing he does. That line when he says, I fell in love with this when I was six and I didn't have anything else. Now I have you. I don't need this. I love that so much. I like I could cry thinking about that scene. I just the way that the way that he has become so self-aware. Like because you think about it, he's basically lived his entire life revolved around the Red Sox. You see his apartment, she describes it as like a gift sh- a gift shop or a museum. He's never really had a serious girlfriend because, you know, they don't last because of the Red Sox and, you know, and he's been a fan of the Red Sox since he was a kid and they've never won anything. And you see the like kind of self-actualization that he goes through as this movie com- like kind of progresses of realizing like my whole life is passing me by and now I finally have this amazing woman and I'm going to lose her because of this team that's never given me anything except that I latched onto it when I had nothing else as a child who probably couldn't even, you know, do multiplication tables it's a, it's actually a huge character development for him. Yeah, it's um it's definitely growth throughout the movie. Like you actually see legit there there are certain movies where you see like one of my favorite sports movies but a very but a flawed one is Tin Cup and you actually don't see any character growth in Costner's character. I come back to that all the time. In this one you actually do see character growth. Um, another thing that worked about it is uh, Jimmy Fallon, really good with kids, would probably be a pretty good teacher. Like, I love the bat speed conversation when they're saying he can't get a oh, date yeah. with Lindsay. I love that back and forth. <laughs> she was a major hottie. Major? Curve hottie. Yeah, she went optic for you, Mr. Raymond. Optic? Yeah, I saw her glance to the pants. No way. Yeah. What do you mean? I mean, she was totally... No, 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 not you. You. What, what did you mean? Nothing. You know... Oh, come on, man, you saw her. Wait, wait, are you saying that she's out of my league? She's bringing some serious heat, man. I don't know if you got the bat speed. Oh, I got the bat speed. I got plenty of bat speed. I can hit her best cheese. That, yeah, I mean, I think because he, I think part of it is obviously he chose the profession because, you know, teachers get summers off. He can just be at the ballpark all the time. But also when you think about it, like I said, he's basically an overgrown child he's still in love with the thing that he fell in love with when he was a kid and also when they're having their fight he and you know when they when they're breaking up um he says do you still love anything that you loved when you were a kid right and she's like no ben because like when when he misses the yankees game and she says no ben because when i fell in love with whatever it was that she says scott Bayo. you love to yeah, see scott, scott Bayo getting dragged oh, 20 God. years later I know. love I to know. see it's it so funny but yeah she's like because 
I was 12 or whatever. And if I still loved that, I would think there was something seriously wrong with me. And, you know, obviously crushes on an actor a little bit different than like being a lifelong fan of a sports team, especially in Boston where we're all insane. But it's true. You know, to a certain extent, like, like at a certain point, it can't be like the number one thing in your life. You know, like you have to, you have to make room for the things that matter more, like finding a person to spend your life with. And then hopefully they'll come to the ball games with you, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's also like a, it's a commentary on, you just need to make sacrifices for your partner. It's just part of having relationships. And sometimes that's really big things. Sometimes that's really minor things. And this is probably just, it's the main thing in, in Ben's life. And they've, you know, they even hint at it, that this is what has costed him other relationships before is him not being able to get over this, this boyhood obsession. There, there's certainly a fine line between being obsessed with sports and it, it, it harming your life in other ways. So I, it's, it's very, it's very relieving at the end where Ben seemingly finds that, that sense of normalcy, or at least that sense of balance. Is there anything else that really stands out as to why this one works for you that we haven't gone over yet? I mean, Fenway Park is just a gorgeous backdrop for a movie. Fenway Park. <laughs> Family pack. I yeah, as you can tell, I don't have the uh, the accent, but anything that's filmed at Fenway Park is going to be more beautiful because it's filmed at Fenway Park, and you just get so much good, gorgeous Boston content. You know, him quote unquote proposing to her with the opening day ticket in Boston Common. Um, you know, them dining on either Boylston or Newberry. I think, I think they're on Boylston in Back Bay, you know, them just walking around him living in what looks like the North End, uh, you know, in like some tiny crappy little apartment that looks like a gift shop for Fenway Park. You know, you just get a lot of beautiful Boston visuals in this movie. And I think a lot of people don't realize until they come to Boston that it's really such a gorgeous city in so many areas. Yeah, filming at actual baseball games is definitely the move. Like when Miguel Tejada drills oh, yeah. her in the head, it's actually Miguel Tejada. Like not on the I replay, know. the TV replay, but like it's actually Orioles Miguel Tejada, old the old bloated version. Like very Yeah. Right? And now, actually I, Miguel Tejada that... was still was still bringing it at that point. I think he got old and yeah. bloated later. But it's actually like it's actually him. Like I love the the filming at baseball games, a hundred percent the move. Any sports movie that can do that needs to do that. But Gabrielle, what didn't work about this one for you? What what stood out as something that you, maybe you could have gone without in this movie? So I, again, I know I'm like a broken record at this point, but um, just like her complete and utter lack of understanding of baseball. Like also her dad's watching SportsCenter. So clearly she grew up in a house with a dad who's a sports fan. So it makes it even more unrealistic that Who she doesn't know anything about. sells golf carts, which is a top right. three father-in-law job, I would say. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's just super unrealistic. Um, also, I don't know, just... No, I honestly, I think that that's the thing that really just doesn't land for me. Because other than that, I mean... The only other thing is just like that he, when I was a kid, I couldn't fathom that a guy would be so dense about how to be in a relationship. Then I grew up and started dating 
And I've dated enough duds in my life to realize that there are guys who are way, way less equipped to handle a confident woman than Ben is with Lindsay in a lot of this movie. So if you asked me when I was like 12, I'd be like, he's so dumb. Why doesn't he appreciate it? But now I'm like, mm, no, honestly, like this is far from the dumbest guy I've ever seen. <laughs> Something that didn't work for me, if they're together in you know five years after this, which we would like to assume that they are, I don't think they're hanging with Robin and Chris anymore. They are the toughest. Oh my God, of, please they never the again. They're so hangs. gross. They are both awful, like awful. Like Robin is just trying to bring Lindsay down the whole movie to, to yeah. the point where she punches one of the other girls for like getting in her shit a little bit. And Chris is a fucking slime ball, like being the, the fakest dude on the planet buying those tickets. Like that's a terrible couple. Like, they are very wealthy. That Gatsby party certainly was like very expensive, but they yeah, gave me unrealistic suck. expectations about being in my 20s. I'll tell you that much. I think everyone who watched this movie as a teenager was like, oh, that's what like adulthood birthday parties. I'm going to live in like. an apartment in Back Bay by myself with a beautiful dog and like a great job. Hell no. Um, yeah, that's that's also definitely unrealistic. My other thing that I always worried about just being somebody who grew up going to Fenway is he only has two season tickets. So when they start a family <laughs> after like a certain age, I think it's like when you're an infant, obviously, uh, or a toddler, you don't need your own seat at the ballpark. But at a certain point, they're not both going to be able to go to the ballpark with their kids. And that bums me out because I grew up going to the ballpark with my parents. Um, my mom's law firm had season tickets. So um, they had four seats and I grew up sitting at the ballpark every year with my mom, dad, and my sister in the same seats as I grew up, but the seats stayed the same and it was really special. So, you know, with that in mind, I was kind of like, so how are they all going to go to the ballpark as a family? Like just me being a total sentimental dork, you know, about a movie that doesn't actually exist in real life. I will say I'm not sure Lindsay's going to be that pissed about missing out, getting getting a little. No, she's going to be working so that they can continue living in that gorgeous luxury brownstone in Back Bay. Well, she's just <laughs> she's just going to enjoy some like four to five hours of child free, husband free time. That's going to be that's going to be Lindsay time. I think that's going to be good Ben and player to be named later bonding time. I think I think she'll be fine. <laughs> Carly Car- Carla Yaskremski. <laughs> Carly, <laughs> I I can't believe. Lindsay didn't put her foot down a little more on that one either. The last thing I've got that didn't work, and this isn't something that didn't work about the movie, but it's something I'm a little wistful for. And this is me personally. I'm not sure you'll feel the same way. I miss this Red Sox era and these Red Sox fans. Like the the lovable losers kind of thing and the, the idiots. I miss like before Kurt Schilling was a Nazi and Johnny Damon was super MAGA. Like I miss that era too, but I just miss like the Red Sox and their title drought. Like now, like I'm a twins fan. We haven't won a playoff game since I was in middle school. Fuck the Red Sox and their titles. Like y'all are fine. Like I miss this being able to, to lovably like, love the you know love the red sox from afar this is a very nostalgic era and like we've lost all of this in terms of like the red sox have won the cubs have won now i think it's like let's hop on the mariners bandwagon folks like julio rodriguez and kellenick are coming let's get these folks a title oh yeah there's a ton of awesome prospects in the mariners organization right now and i hope that they don't just like trade them all for no reason i i am not of the opinion that the red sox need more championships honestly 2018 postseason was so stressful for me that i 
remember texting my parents after one of the ALCS games because I think for me the most stressful series was the ALCS because in 2018, three teams in the American League won 100 games, the Sox, the Yankees, and the, and the Astros. And all I could think was if they can make it through the American League side of the postseason, they're going to win the World Series because no National League team even won 100 games in 2018. They just, it just wasn't, it was a totally unbalanced postseason. And they pretty much smoked the Dodgers. They won four games to one. So, you know, in the Astros series, I remember waking up one morning and apparently in my sleep, I'd had some kind of nightmare because I had clawed at my arms. Like I had scratches on my arms. I had, I texted my mom. I was like, I must've had like an anxiety dream. Cause I woke up, I looked like I had been clawed by a cat and it was just my own nails like digging into my arms. Um, so for me, I'm not, I'm fine with, you know, it's, we've had four in 15 years. Like that is so much more than I ever could have hoped for. I have an 103 year old great uncle who grew up in Boston, born in Boston, raised in Boston. He's 103 now. And he was born in June, 1918. So he was an infant for the 1918 world series and then lived until he was 86 years old. He never thought he would live to see one. And he said to me last year, I didn't think I'd ever see one that I would remember. And I've had four more. That man does. He deserved all of that. He deserved that. Oh, he yeah. deserved those Pat Super Bowls. But like, yeah, the Red Sox, I, I miss this era, the, the fever pitch era of Red Sox, because yeah, like you've had your four titles. Like the twins haven't won a playoff game since I was in middle school. They haven't won a world series since I was in diapers. Like give us some of that that Red Sox, oh, yeah. that Red Sox luck. Um, I want to let's skip over the the best and worst on screen athletes. Really, kind of like moot. There's really no one playing sports besides <laughs> the uh, besides the flag football scene. The Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I've got a few nominees. Uh, Marissa Jarrett Winker as Winker. Winker. Okay, that is that is my mistake. As Sarah, who is the funniest of Lindsay's friends, and drops the just iconic burn on Robin of the Why don't you dress better? After finding out that she can afford $125,000 tickets, which is fucking incredible. Uh, Willie Garson is Kevin, the anesthesiologist. Jack Keller is Al Waterman, who also serves as the narrator and has the iconic line of Al Waterman, I sell sponges. And uh, Evan Helmuth is Troy. And I don't I don't really want to put him as best supporting character, but I just have to comment that he was a terrible friend in that one scene. And he also wears what I call the asshole hat, like the backwards yep. bowler. He is a... Uh, he is the closest. I I, he's. A, I was going to ask you about this. I feel like he's the closest that they get in this movie to like masshole trash. Yeah, he would definitely qualify for early two thousands masshole. Like, yeah, masshole trash, absolutely. And like I said, drugstore generic version of Justin Timberlake, like early two thousands Justin Timberlake. He is dressed right down to what I think is called a Kangol cap. That kind of like newsboy but backwards thing i think it's called a kangle cap right down to the hat mass hole he's going to the bar every night trying to score blake lively's character from the town like he's looking for some <laughs> trash yeah to the, exactly. they can simultaneously ruin each other's lives who is your favorite supporting character in this movie because there's a lot of like everyone kind of shares the ball except for the two leads which just carry a huge they're like 85 percent of the movie is focused on them um Hmm. I think, I think I'm going to have to give it to Al Waterman. You know, he's like, here, Al have a Waterman. Sponge. Al Waterman. Um, 
just because like such a quintessential Boston like lifer you know you see people like that at the ballpark I see people like that at the ballpark now and they just are from a different era of Boston sports fan like before the glory like yeah I was 12 11 I was 11 when the Red Sox reversed the curse you know so people are like well you can't really complain that much you were 11 it's like yeah but I'm a third generation Bostonian like I have so many relatives who died before this happened and like you hear that from them and it becomes like ingrained in you you know it's like in your psyche you're just waiting for something to go wrong and like I remember the Aaron Boone walk-off and like the very few Yankees fans kids at my school just getting like just being so cocky it was so annoying um Al Waterman's just like the kind of guy you see like he's been doing this since like the 50s you know and those those you know decades of like the 50s 60s 70s where like it was just it was bare bones in Boston you know and you had Ted Williams but then he retired and then you had Yastrzemski but like they never really did much and it was just rough you know in each of those decades, 60s, 70s, 80s, they got to the World Series and lost. So he's a guy who has seen some shit, and he is still there, and he's still selling his sponges, and he's still showing up to the ballpark every year, no matter how bad the season ended before. And that says a lot, because opening day 2004 is the first game since, you know, Boone. So, yeah. Al Waterman has seen Bucky Dent. He's seen Bill Buckner. He's seen really bad Patriots teams. He's seen Len Bias die. He's seen Larry Bird's back go out. He deserves this 2004 Red Sox exactly. championship as much as anyone. Um, the big chill, which is the moment every, you know, sports movies have that big chill moment where the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights and the natural, that kind of thing. I only have two in this movie because, again, it's 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 your non-traditional sports movie. It's not really based around the sports action. I get the chills when he rips the UPS box and they open up the tickets and say it smells like the year. I like that, especially like knowing that it was the year. And then this isn't really like the movie. This isn't anything that was scripted, but when they show the Robert Steele, the Miller singer single, and then the poppy home run, I get, I get the chills there. It's like, it puts you right back there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like, a big, a big chill moment in this movie because I feel like this movie is made up of a lot of small, awesome moments. Mm-hmm. And I don't get the chill when they reunite and like kiss and it's going to be okay because she has that let's jerk it out of the park line. It takes me yeah, out of it exactly. every single time. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a little bit of like a, you know, record scratch moment, you know, like yeah. Saved by the Bell. He's like, time out. Um, <laughs> Billy Crystal would have never said that. No, he he would never I don't know. I mean, up until she says that line that we don't need to keep repeating because it's so bad. My big chill moment would be like, you know, she's hanging over the side of the bleachers balcony. I was going to say it might be And she's running across the field and you're just like, holy shit. When that song starts playing, you see she's kind of hanging down. And you think it's all over. That's the one. Yeah. I think I think that if it's anything with them, that yeah. might be it. But I don't think anything compares to when they show like the Robert stealing second. It's yeah, I 
Dave Roberts stealing. Oh my God. I actually, okay. So I really quickly, I randomly ended up on the phone with Kevin Millar two years ago. I was at a dinner party and, um, when the introductions were being made, the host introduced me and said, this is Gabrielle. She's a sports writer from Boston. And this was in LA. So whenever you're in an an LA dinner party with people you don't know, you're going to meet someone totally random that like you have some kind of weird thing in common with. And the guy goes, oh, that's so crazy. Kevin Millar is one of my best friends. And he just pulls out his phone and he calls Kevin Millar. And he's like, hey, buddy, uh, I'm a Boston fan here. I'm just going to give you give her my phone he hands the phone and I'm like what the hell is going on and Kevin Millar's on the other line and I'm like oh my god 11 year old me would be like pissing her pants right now this is insane and I'm just talking to him about all kinds of stuff and the Red Sox had just won the World Series and like uh, you know it's like a random Friday night December 2018 and I don't know how we got on this subject I said I, always, I think I said I always wanted to write a book about the Red Sox and he said, well, you're going to have 2004 in it. And I said, how do you have, of course, how do you have a book about 2000, about the Red Sox and you don't talk about 2004? And, um, you know, because he's the one that took the walk and Roberts was his pinch runner, of course, because he was, you know, he was notorious for getting walked, but he was slow as molasses. And I said, yeah, well, you know, 2004, like, changed my whole life. It was, like, the best thing ever. And he goes, yeah, and especially, it was especially great after 2003 and Aaron fucking Boone. And I was like, oh, my God. If you told 11-year-old me that I would one day be on the phone with Kevin Millar and he would say to me, Aaron bleeping Boone, my brain would explode. It was just such a surreal moment for me. So I think in terms of the steel and all of that kind of stuff in the movie, like, that brings it all back to me of just how heightened and stressful <laughs> that postseason was like because they were really down to the wire there oh yeah i have heard nothing but good things about kevin millar by the way oh, he's he, awesome uh, he he's did awesome. a one game stint in any ball a couple years ago just as like a promo thing with the saint paul saints and uh, a personal friend of mine was pitching and was like i'm just gonna blow like an 80 mile an hour fastball past this man and, and millar put it put it in the bleachers my buddy said that he was a. It was very fun. It was a whole. He he was a whole good good thing about it. Good to hear about Kevin Millar. We we love good Kevin Millar stories. R.I.P. Intentional talk. Um, last few categories. Hmm. Uh, how to improve this one? You've mentioned you know maybe beef giving Lindsay at least like a base knowledge of baseball, a base understanding. Um, it's and this is kind of like this is not as much how to improve this movie, but just. I wish we could improve our, our how we remember the 2004 Red Sox. Somehow, just edit Kurt Schilling out. Like it's a, it's just a oh, real yeah. shame. We we don't like Nazis. We don't support Nazis. But when it comes to the structure of this movie, I, I was kind of I was thinking about this before we started recording. I'm not sure this movie had like that much more in the tank. I don't know how much higher the ceiling was to make this one that better. Like it's it's very good. It's it's really enjoyable. It's really pleasant. I don't think it was like this high ceiling could have been a when Harry met Sally level rom-com. I'm not sure that was in the in the tank. I don't think it's possible for it to be more of a rom-com without sacrificing the sports aspect. And the whole point is supposed to be like it's a sports love story because this movie is as much a love story between a fan and his team as it is a guy and a girl. And if you're going to focus more on the romance of them, of Ben and Lindsay, 
you don't have enough to devote to this guy's immense love for the Red Sox. And you need that because that's kind of like the whole point of this movie is he's in a love triangle. Because he's in love with two things. And, you know, that's the whole struggle of this whole movie from the beginning. He says, you know, this always happens to me. Girls break up with me because, you know, they can't take it with the baseball and all this kind of stuff. And you see that, like, this has been his entire life. He has always loved the Red Sox. And as he grew up, it became a love triangle that never ultimately worked out. And that's this, that's the crux of this movie. Yeah, I, I don't think it could have been much better, but it's still like it's it's very that's not a that's not a negative just thing to say about the movie. Like it, it does what it what it set out to do. Uh, last category before more restore prequel, sequel or remake. I think a, a prequel, any anything a prequel or sequel to this one. I don't think anyone's like breaking down the doors for that. Like I would, you know, I would love to see what Ben and Lindsay look like 20 years later, but I don't think like Netflix is going to plunk down the, the money for it. And I was giving thought to a remake and I think this one is now untouchable as far as remakes go, because of what happened with the 2004 Red Sox. If it had been the original thing and it had just been like a successful rom-com and a normal Red Sox season, I think you could, you know, Netflix could be like, hey, we're going to remake this with, you know, Glenn Powell and Zoe Deitch and everyone's going to like it. But I think because of what happened in the actual baseball, I think it's hard to top. Totally agree. Um this movie actually I don't think was the original Fever Pitch. I'm pretty sure they had an original one that was like British and it was about soccer. There was, starring Colin Firth, a pre-Bridget yes. Jones Colin Firth. My parents' other favorite movie is Pride and Prejudice, but the BBC one that's like seven parts long. Also with Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. And our puppy, who is a girl, is named Darcy after Mr. Darcy, a.k.a. Colin Firth. But she's a girl, so she's just Darcy. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of pop culture, uh, meeting itself in the middle here. We so love I pop also, culture, six degrees of separation on this show. Oh my God. My parents, I mean, literally like this, this conversation is everything about my childhood. It's <laughs> Harry Met Sally, Pride and Prejudice, BBC, and Fever Pitch. That's like my entire existence from ages zero through 12. Um, so I don't think that you can remake this movie, and I don't think you should. And for starters, because a lot of the times the remake is just not good, and a sequel is just not good. I mean, almost no sequel is going to be Godfather 2 to Godfather 1, where it's like even arguably better than its predecessor. Most of the time, the movie's not even as good. It's usually marked, markedly worse than the original. This movie has chemistry, heart, humor, an amazing plot twist. Like a real life plot twist that actually impacted the movie itself. You are never going to top this with a remake of any kind or a sequel. And I don't want to see what happens with Ben and Lindsay because I just want to imagine that they live happily ever after basking in the glow of the following three championships. You know, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna revisit these characters. I wanna remember them the same way that I remember the 2004 Red Sox season. Minus Kurt Schilling. I want to remember just how happy it made everybody. And i that's why I love, you know, this little time capsule of a movie that kind of preserves it perfectly. Yeah, it caught lightning in a bottle. It's a it's a perfect combo. I always watch it when it's on. Shout out MLB Network. Play this movie more. Play Trouble with the Curve less. 
Gabrielle Starr, <laughs> thank you so much for joining Big Screen Sports. Tell the folks again where they can follow you on social media and check out your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was like a treat. I don't know if you could tell. At a couple points, I actually almost started crying. I was very emotional thinking about this movie that I now have to go watch again. The perfect guest word. I'm so happy you joined me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is G-F-S-T-A-R-R-1. You can follow Girl at the Game. It's all lowercase one word on Twitter and Instagram at Girl at the Game. And our website is girlatthegame.com. The podcast is Girl at the Game on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Locked on Red Sox also wherever you get your podcasts. And Nickelode again, that's the word nickel, O-D, again, all is one schmush of a word. Also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for having me. This was so special. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. You're welcome back uh, anytime. I'm also so mad that I didn't think of the Nickelodeon Rewatch podcast. That is a great idea. Uh, hey Arnold forever. Um, if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review. You folks know the drill. Also check out the entire Blue Wire podcast network for everything. Basketball, baseball, football, all your podcast needs. Uh, also, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. Again, a great episode dropping tomorrow with uh, Dan Straley, who is currently over in Korea getting, getting ready uh, to go to spring training for the KBO. And until then, we will see you next Monday. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.